It is a huge privilege to be here. I was last with you, I think we were trying to work it out. 2015? Yeah. End of 2015, we were upstairs in a, in a pub. Um, the smell was less fresh than <laughs> here. And it was so exciting to be with you then. Um, hands up if you were part of the, the Grace Church congregation back in that, that, that phase of your journey. I think others who are coming in the evening uh, were, because <laughs> yeah, it was more than, more than you than those hands went up. Yeah, it's a huge privilege to be with you. We're rooting for you. We pray for you often. Um, it's a bit, of, a bit of a sort of sense of deja vu for me personally being with you this morning, because I've been, um, I, I've had the privilege of planting leading churches for over 20 years now, and on many occasions, two or three myself, leading in a way that Andrew leads and on many other occasions with congregations that we've planted out, churches that we've planted out, being involved with churches at your stage um, of development. And I know actually when we think about Grace London, we're not really thinking, oh yes, we need to develop as a church. We're thinking, may the grace of God come to London. And along the way, the church develops. And we, we grow as a church, don't we, through um, believers joining who move into the city. And I know many of us here have come to faith through friendships, and, and through the church. And that, that's how the church grows. But I just want to encourage you, before we turn to this wonderful passage of Scripture, um, you have such a great opportunity. Um, I think there's an obligation on you. You know, there's that sense in Scripture that what we do is a privilege and an opportunity, but there's, we also have obligations uh, in the Lord to our generation. And you live, I live in the Was- greater Washington, D.C. area. I've lived in Johannesburg. I've lived in... Harare in Zimbabwe. I've lived in Winchester, <laughs> capital city of Winchester. Um, truth be told, I think you live in the coolest city on the planet. That's a real added bonus to live in a cool city. Uh, and cool cities need Jesus as much as uncool cities. So actually, cool or not cool, well, cool's fun, right? Um, and I think you've got a great name, Grace London. You've got the way God deals with humankind baked into your name. You've got a missional statement of we're here for this city. It's not just fluffy Christianity, us and Jesus alone. It's for the city. I think just magnificent. Um, Over the last couple of days, uh, it was a gathering similar to this size, different um, elders and wives. And in the room is a couple moving to Glasgow to plant a church. Um, moving soon, another one that's recently planted in Cardiff, another couple moving to Wembley uh, in the next few months with a view to planting a church, and another couple uh, off to Germany this week to to sniff around because they feel called to plant a church in Germany. And that's just out of a group this big, maybe a company of, I don't know, 12 to 15 churches. So there's a real evangelistic passion that no one's cranking up. It's just happening. And you guys have really helped with that um, indirectly as a church, because I know you're a few years in now, but you doing it, Andrew and C, and those of you who are nutty enough to join them in the early days, and those of you who are nutty enough to be part of it now, um, there's reverberations going out from Grace London um, that's really giving us confidence and men and women confidence to go and do similar things to what you're trying to do. So thanks a lot. Really, it's no small deal to start a church in any city, particularly in the center of London, with the crazy challenges that you face in terms of bucks 
and pressure. You've got jobs. You work harder probably than the most on the planet. And I know your commitment to the Lord and to each other. It's really something. And it's, it's giving a lot of confidence and courage uh, to situations around the UK and further afield that you don't even know. So I just want to commend you and encourage you. And, and let's pray. Father, I pray for this extraordinary plant that's springing up here in the center of London like a plant coming out of concrete. You think, where did that come from? Lord, thank you for Grace London. Thank you for all that it represents. Thank you for hundreds of lives being touched already, directly and indirectly. And I pray for this church, Father, that they would be strengthened, they would rest in you, be passionate for you, give them courage, I pray. And I pray that you would give them faith. And I pray that you would speak to us from this passage as we look at this this, I think, young mother who was commended by you, Jesus, for having great faith. I pray that would be a characteristic of Grace London. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 15, verse 21. The faith of a Canaanite woman. Matthew fifteen twenty-one. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so you got it? He's withdrawing, he's changing district. Withdrawing. Maybe he's tired, but he's withdrawing. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just pause for a second. Remember, the focus of Jesus' ministry on earth was primarily to the Jews. When he ascended, he would commission his boys to take the gospel wider to the Gentiles. But the order was Jews first, then Gentiles. So the question is, is he going to stick to plan or make an exception? But she came, again, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Well, it doesn't get much better than this. 
a great cast. You've got the desperate woman, Jesus playing hard to get, and the sidekick disciples acting like a bunch of buffoons. <laughs> a fantastic script. This is top-notch verbal jousting. And you've got a tremendous climax. The underdog, the feisty young mother, she wins the day. Actually, the grace of Jesus wins the day and is on, on full display. I want to do three warm-up points and three main points. Warm-up point number one, note that hardship can be a blessing. Would she have sought Jesus out if it weren't for her crisis? I don't know. I think not. Demonic oppression is not good unless it gets you to Jesus. Good health is great, but sickness is better if it gets you to Jesus. God will sometimes permit some temporary catastrophe to come our way to jolt us out of spiritual indifference and draw us to him because nothing is worth worse than living spiritually indifferent or unconnected to God. Warm-up point number two, note the reality of demonic oppression. So her daughter, we're told, was severely oppressed by a demon. Details not given. Maybe it was some kind of mental disorder manifested as that. Maybe it was some self-destructive streak. Maybe it was some more conventional illness. The Bible teaches that not all illness comes from the devil, but some does. Maybe it was that. We don't know, but it was serious enough to cause her mother immense distress and cause her to take a huge risk, a social risk, a spiritual, all sorts of risks in play here. It was breaking her mother's heart. Friends, the, the world we live in is not a demilitarized zone. So the devil is real. He hates God. He hates those made in the image of God. Jesus said he's like a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Summary, he's a wrecking ball. He doesn't play fair, and he sometimes goes for the kids. Thank God for Jesus, a compassionate, powerful healer. Walmart point number three, note the horror of a non-missional, introspective, self-absorbed bunch of believers. So the disciples had their own little Jesus club going, and they didn't want anyone else to join. When the crying woman with the sick kid came along, they said, I quote to Jesus, send her away, Lord, for she's crying out after us. Now, it's not clear whether they meant send her away because she's a nuisance or he'll do the miracle for her and send her away because she's a nuisance. Either way, would someone please take these boys out back and teach them what church is all about? Okay, let's get to the main business of the passage, which is given to us by Jesus himself. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. That word great is from the root word mega, 
So if, you, if you're fond of alliteration, we've got a master class here of a mummy's mega faith. And classes in session, main point number one, note how great faith perseveres. This woman is quite summing. She approaches Jesus and asks him for help, and she's met with silence. Can anybody here relate to that? Okay, you're not the first one. He prays a prayer, and suddenly, there's no answer. She asks, she's met with silence. Then, she most likely, the plain reading of the text, is that she overhears... Jesus explained to his disciple this kind of restraint of trade that he's got on miracles for Gentiles at the moment. And yet, she comes back and asks again, this time kneeling. Picture it, she's kneeling. She's rebuffed and also called a dog. Then... Instead of getting offended, in a kind of judo move, she enters into the illustration that Jesus has presented and flips it and says, okay, if I'm a dog, then that would make you my master. How about some crumbs? If this woman's a dog, she's a bulldog, right? She's just locked on. Now, I'm delaying dealing with this orcs moment of uh, Jesus calling her a dog. Okay, We're just stalling on that for now. We'll get to it. Uh, but first, let, let's ask, why, let's just back up. Why did Jesus keep quiet? You know, the crying woman with the sick kid, can you help? Was he rude? No. Wasn't sinful at all. Was he disinterested? No. It's not Jesus. Was he a bit hangry? You know, low blood sugar, tough day. I don't think so. Keeping quiet when someone asked you a question was actually a common rabbinic technique to help draw the student out, not to short-circuit it with your wisdom. So you keep, you keep quiet, and it draws the student out. It draws them towards you and into the conversation more. It helps them strengthen their convictions without short-circuiting what's going on. Now, this isn't rocket science. I do it with my three sons. I've got three teenage boys. Sometimes they ask me a question, and I look pensive and just stall rather than giving an answer. I go, hmm. Knowing that if I leave a long enough pause, they're going to do a follow-up. And a follow-up. And they're going to develop their thinking, strengthen their convictions. But you know what else is going on? I've got more of a conversation going with my sons. And I just love it. They're going deeper. My silence is actually drawing them in. I think that's a bit of what's going on here. You see, she wanted a miracle, but he wanted her. 
And so he just, and, and this, is, this is helpful intel for those of us who are exploring Christianity. That Jesus will often just, he'll reel you in and he'll woo you and he'll resist He'll resist going ka-ching when you put the money in the slot. Are you real? Will you give me a miracle? Will if prove yourself to me? He does want to prove himself to you, but he knows that if he gives you what you want to quickly, you'll get the wrong idea about who he is. Cosmic slot machine, ka-ching. Oh, that's what Christianity is about. So he goes slow because he wants you. He wants you, to, he wants you to ask, why are you keeping quiet? What are you really like? But it did take her perseverance. And if you're exploring Christianity, you'll see this kind of scenario again and again in Scripture where there's a perseverance that God invites because you're playing for high stakes. Jesus actually said, if you're going to follow me, think carefully about it. Don't start building a building. Before you check, you got the before you got the QS to check you got all the resources, and this is part of it. This is part of it. He, he, he looks for perseverance, friends. God's silence or God's delay is never prejudice, prejudicial. It's always beneficial if you don't give up. If you persevere, delay is always development in terms of our relationship with God. God's silence is an invitation, not a rejection. And this woman got it. It's interesting. She uses some phrases about Jesus that, um, O Lord, son of da- have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. I, I can't get into that now. But she had an awareness that this was a spiritual man. Um, she wasn't a Jew. She was trying to work it out. She was trying to figure this thing out. But her main driver was, I need help. I'm exploring spirituality with you, Jesus. Not exactly sure who you are. I just know I need help. And Jesus just woos her and draws her. It's beautiful and her perseverance is exemplary. So great faith perseveres whether it's coming to faith in Jesus or you've already got a faith in Jesus and now you live by faith. You don't switch off faith. You live by faith. I want to please you, Lord, by faith. I want to direct my life hour by hour and year by year speaking to someone before the meeting. Big decision ahead of him. Big decision ahead of him. Lord, I want to live by faith. Where do you want me to live? I know you've given us, especially those of us privileged with education and money you've given us this this autonomy that we can just live in but those who live by faith say we're living for you we're yours one life we want to line up with your will speak to us lord show us that's faith there's active faith and there's a perseverance necessary for that as well and main point number two great faith locks on to jesus Locks on to Jesus' power, but more specifically to Jesus. Uh, what do you make of her request for mere crumbs? 
Did the thought cross your minds? Show some self-respect, sister. Did the thought cross your mind? You need to go on a negotiating skills course. <laughs> you know, he offers crumbs. You demand a steak. You settle on a sandwich. <laughs> because crumbs are not going to feed any dog, right? Well, that depends from which loaf of bread the crumbs come. Just a little bit of Jesus who described himself as the bread of life, the loaf of life. Just a little bit of Jesus is ample satisfaction for us. And this is another pattern we see in Jesus' ministry. Jesus, um, there was a Roman centurion uh, with a six servants. And the Roman centurion said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. You think, eh? Word? Healing? Well, it depends who says the word. The woman with the issue of blood. She thought to herself, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. You think garment? It depends whose garment it is. Word, garment, crumbs. His word, his garment, his crumbs. The accent isn't on word, garment, and crumbs, but on his, his, his. The point is Jesus. That the faith is not like positive thinking and developing a strong aura. It's not, it's not this flaky mystical, you know, hope. It's locking on to the God-man Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is God and he is good and we lock on to him. So if he says crumbs, we go, I'll take crumbs. Because you're getting him. Touching the clock, it's him. Saying the word, it's him. Growing in our faith, reading the Bible, it's him. Prayer, it's, it's him. Prayer's a vehicle to him. The word is a vehicle to him. He's the living word. What we're doing together today, you know, we say quite flippantly sometimes, it's all about Jesus. It's completely true. It's all about Jesus. Everything we do is a conduit to him. This book is about him. Cover to cover, it's the story of Jesus. God coming to earth, speaking. Connecting with us through his son, Jesus. That's the message of Christianity is the message of the son of God. The gospel, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And those of us who, who've had some experience, you know, been following Jesus for a number of years, you get to know the importance of faith. The Bible's full of the importance of faith. And sometimes as believers, we can get so excited about faith that we end up putting our faith in faith instead of our faith in Jesus. And then it can be a slight distortion that it's about faith. I think I've lost my faith. I've got to speak my faith. Well, it's just hot air if it's not about Jesus. It's faith-filled as it sounds. It's not centered on the person of Jesus. It's blah, blah, blah. That's why little faith in the right direction, in, in the direction of Jesus, accomplishes a whole lot more than lots of faith in the wrong direction. It's, it's a wonderful relief that it's not, even our faith is not dependent on us, it's dependent on Jesus. 
Great faith locks on to Jesus. It's rooted in Jesus. Uh, Main point number three. Final point. Great faith locks on to God's grace. Now, I can't escape this any longer. We've got to talk about this. Very socially incorrect moment of Jesus calling her a dog. What do you make of it? I mean, the last time I read the Sinless Loving Messiah handbook, I'm sure there was something in there about not calling people dogs, especially crying women with sick kids. What's going on? Um, If you read the commentaries on this, they scramble. You can feel as you're reading. It's great fun. Uh, Some point out that dogs was a kind of colloquial nickname for Gentiles. Okay, but still. Um, Others point out that the, the, the word used for dog was actually the word kynaria. Sounds like some nerve agent, I know, but it, it means puppy, not dog. Ah, so you're just calling me a puppy, not a dog. It's not much better, is it? Whatever the reason was, I think the point is, she took it. And she got the miracle. Again, helpful intel for those of us considering Christianity, because if you've listened to preaching from the Bible or read the Bible, you'll know that in our unregenerate state, our pre-believing state, our non-Christian state, the Bible calls us a whole lot worse than dogs. A few of my personal favorites. Ephesians 2.1, sinful corpse. It's like, it's like Andrew's uh, in the advert just now to get people to volunteer for the church. Way to get someone to volunteer at Grace London. Here with the Bible, it's way to get someone to become a Christian. Because this is how the Bible speaks about us. Until we put our faith in Jesus and are forgiven of our sins by Jesus, sins past, present, and future, we're described as sinful corpses. Welcome to church. Uh, We're described as darkened. Hello. If you're discovering Christianity today, welcome. Oh, darkened one. Ignorant. Worthless. Mouthful of venom. That's like a polite Bible way of saying you're a snake. Throat an open grave. Deserving of death. That's heavy duty. I'd take dog over that, especially puppy. But it's offensive, right? That's that's one of the big that's one of the big hurdles. It's so humbling. When actually as created ones we bump up against up against the creator. Even though he's so full of grace, there's there's truth serum in play. This is, this is truth. And she took it. 
Okay, if I'm a dog, that makes you my master. Feed me. And he did. So by accepting our identity, our pedigree, outside of being forgiven by God, is precisely what makes forgiveness possible. The great late London preacher Spurgeon explains, your ruin is your argument for mercy. Your poverty, your plea for heavenly arms. And your need is the motive for heavenly goodness. Now, sinner, learn this art. Do not paint thyself in bright colors. But own thyself to be lost and ruined. And then, adhering still to Christ, make thy very wants and needs and death and ruin to be an argument why the Lord of mercy should show his mighty power in thee. Did you follow? If we can test our pedigree, the crumbs of grace miss us. But if we accept that spiritually speaking we are dogs and gratefully receive the crumbs of forgiveness from God. Because remember, crumbs is all, he's so lavish that just a crumb is enough for us. Then sudden, if we accept and receive these crumbs, something extraordinary happens. In the moment that the crumb of grace brushes our lips, we get transformed from a dog to a child of God, a filthy one to a righteous one. John 1 verse 12, John writes, to all who received him, aka to all who received these crumbs of grace, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become, can you believe it, children of God? Dog to child of God. And if you're thinking, no, no, no. This is just too much. Too good to be true. No such thing as a free lunch. Correct. But again, this is is where the glorious gospel comes into play. Jesus paid for lunch. So there was once the child of God, the son of God, at the table of God in heaven, who stepped down into the kennel of earth and lived a righteous one, a righteous life, not as a dog, but as the child of God amongst us for 33 years. And then that 33 years culminated with him being put on a cross on a rubbish heap outside of Jerusalem, and God the Father placing on him all the manky, skanky, filthy, dog-like sin of yours and mine on him, the child of God became a dog, loaded with our sin. Theologians call it the great exchange, that the one who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The child of God 
in heaven became a dog in the gutter, then us dogs in the gutter might become children of God at the table in heaven. In the last battle, Emmeth said about Aslan, the lion, the type of Christ, and this is the marvel of marvels, that he calls me beloved, me who am but as a dog. Thomas Kramer's prayer from the first book of Common Prayer. We do not presume to come to this thy table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifolds and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. The child from God's table became the dog that us dogs might become children at God's table. Can you believe this? It's magnificent. And in this encounter of Jesus with this mother, it's all there. And we're grateful. And it's instructive. Hallelujah.